podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Stratticast. I'm delighted to be joined by Ben Jacobs. Ben, you've been covering the story about the takeover for, I suppose, the best part of six months now. Before we dive into it, how are you keeping? And I suppose you're probably tired from it all. I think takeovers are tiring, especially when they play out this publicly. And I'm good. I've enjoyed a lot of the season so far. I think Manchester United had as well, but suddenly... It's got a bit nervy after those back-to-back defeats against West Ham and Brighton before that. And nerviness is probably a decent word as well to describe how Manchester United fans are feeling about the coming weeks. This trepidation, are the Glazers going to stay or go? Part of that conversation, whether Glazers are going to stay or not, there was kind of whispers maybe some months ago that things were going so well on the pitch that they were kind of thinking we might stay around a bit longer. They've gotten a bit quieter, and I think since the third round or third rounds of bids, there hasn't been so many briefings about the Glazers staying. Maybe in a smaller capacity, but but the kind of hedge funds have gone kind of quiet. Would I be correct in saying that? Well, I think it's very normal at this stage, and people tend to look at a takeover a little bit like a transfer. So if there's forty-eight hours of silence, there's panic. And in essence, this is a business transaction and we do have to be careful about translating it for ease into transfer terms. So because you have a process that has lots of different types of bidders, the manner in which it transpires is often a bit more confusing and the deadlines are soft. And with Manchester United also being a publicly listed company, any credible offer, whether part of the process or after it, still does have to be considered until any kind of definitive deal is done and ultimately paperwork is signed. So the April the 28th deadline should not be seen as hard or fixed and nor should any resolution after it. And as a consequence, the seven to 10 day period in which the hope is that there might be a preferred bidder is fluid and flexible. And the reason for that is because only Sheikh Jassim and Sir Jim Ratcliffe had an April the 28th deadline. So option one, there's a bid on the table that the Glazers are prepared to accept, and then a preferred bidder will be established, and things will move quite quickly. Option number two is that there's almost a deal on the table from one of those two groups, and then there might be some more back and forth necessary. And option number three is that neither of those groups have satisfied the Glazers in which case you could get a bit of gamesmanship and trying to get them to up their offers. Or if the Glazers are genuine that they want to go in another direction, that's when the strategic investors come into play. And because they haven't had a deadline of April the 28th, in essence, whoever is deemed to be the most viable from a group that includes the likes of Sixth Street and Carlisle and Elliott Sports Management would obviously need some back and forth with the Glazers in order to determine if it's a finance-based deal that is structured 
in a lending sense or whether there's going to be preferred equity or whether there's going to be a mixture of financing and potentially minority investment. And that, again, takes a little bit of time. And the final thing that could happen is just no sale. So because you're dealing with finances and those that want minority investment and also groups that might be prepared to not only partner with the Glazers, but potentially also Sir Jim Ratcliffe, and if he was open to it, Sheikh Jassim, although there's no indication that he would desire to go down that route. So when you add everything up and each group is a little bit different and some of the minority investors or financers are prepared to be flexible and work with multiple groups, it's difficult to just say something is going to happen on this date at this time. Simplest solution, outright sale. Sheikh Jassim proceeds, buys 100% of the club, and then would hope to be in before the transfer window opens. Almost as simple. So Jim Ratcliffe comes in, wants control of the football club, maybe coexists with the Glazers, maybe just takes the 69%. And again, it could move quite quickly. But if the Glazers aren't happy with either of those valuations of the club, before you get to that stage, a potentially private extra level of negotiation, maybe direct engagement might be necessary. And then if it's none of those options, then the groups waiting in the wings almost haven't been under a final deadline. So that might take a bit more time. And I think the last thing I'd say is that if it isn't to be Sheikh Jassim or Sir Jim Ratcliffe, the time goes out the window a little bit. And the reason for that is because if there's a change of control or ownership, then obviously speeds of the essence because both of those groups want to be in before the window opens. But if it's any other option, then to an extent from a structural and operational point of view at the football club, it's business as usual because the Glazers would be the controlling owner. So mm. if Carlisle or somebody like Elliot, who want a small minority stake, were to be the chosen route, then if it happens when the transfer window opens, ideal. But if it doesn't, because the Glazers are still running the football club, there's not as much urgency because there's not an actual transition. There's a change in shares and to an extent dynamic, especially if two of the Glazers stay and four of the Glazers end up going, but it doesn't affect the business. Whereas the reason why Sheikh Jasmine and Sir Jim Ratcliffe want to be in ASAP basically yesterday is because that is a completely different controlling or outright owner. And if they're not in by day one of the transfer window, they're at a disadvantage. Mm. So th th their whole approach, you can see already, is, is very, very different to the Glazers. But from, from your understanding of the bids so far, and it's heard around the bids, what, 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 what's, what's obvious so far what Sheikh Jasim is offering? Well, Sheikh Jasim is bidding for 100% of the club. And that mm. means that first he must take the 69%, and that is this process. And then he must assume the rest of the shares. And there shouldn't be too much of a complication doing that. It does take time. But in essence, in this process, because Manchester United is a publicly listed company, everyone must value 100% of the club. So the numbers you're hearing, and I'll just use 5 billion for the sake of maths, are yeah. the 100% club valuation, which means, again, for the sake of the maths, if Sir Jim Ratcliffe chooses to buy 50% of the shares at a 100% club valuation of 5 billion, 
then his outlay is 2.5 billion. And I'm not saying take that as the offer. I'm just using that because it's the simplest way of doing the maths. So the feeling with Jassim is that if the 100% valuation is good enough to take 69% of the Glazer shares, then it won't be a problem to then satisfy the other minority shareholders, which will allow him to get to 100% of the club without any serious opposition. It's never guaranteed, but it is highly, highly likely. And I've spoken to a number of minority shareholders who are of that belief that they won't be standing in any way to stop Sheikh Jassim getting to 100%. And he also doesn't need 100% because there's a legal term called squeeze out process. And once you've got to a set percentage, then if there is small opposition, you can push them all out and delist all of the public shares. And then Jassim's offer has confusion, to be perfectly honest with you. And as I've reported over the course of the last two weeks or so, on the Jassim side, they state very clearly that they're confident in their bid and always have been. And they're not surprised if Sir Jim Ratcliffe is higher because when you're bidding for a slightly smaller stake, especially at this value, you might well choose to value the club at a larger amount because you know that your outlay is a bit smaller. But they say there's not that much between the bids. So Jim Ratcliffe is thought to be pushing $6.5 billion, which is about £5.2 billion. And the Jassim bid argue they're around the $5 billion mark for 100% of the club of which they would pay 69% to the Glazers, but they would then proceed to still take 100%. So their outlay actually would be about 5 billion. Whereas once again, if Ratcliffe only ends up with 50%, then his outlay is half that. So there is a big difference between what they actually would spend. And then Jassim has chosen voluntarily to specify pledge investment on top to the tune of 0.8 billion pounds or one billion dollars and that is admirable and it's vital to Manchester United but it's not necessary or relevant to this process so Radcliffe hasn't done that but he will also still make pledged investment so all in you can argue approximately that the Jassim bid inclusive of pledged investment and debt is somewhere in the region of 5.8 billion pounds. But the confusion is that those on the selling side have been adamant in the last week that it's an all-in number, which means that it isn't 5 billion plus 0.8. It's actually 5 billion all-in inclusive of the pledged investment, which is being used to inflate the overall number. Now, if that is the case, and there's two sides to every story, then the Jassim bid would be not just lower than Ratcliffe, but significantly lower than Ratcliffe. And this has been one of the challenges covering the takeover, the confusion and the games, because one side, if you like, talking to sources, is obviously not giving a clear picture. So either Mm. Jassim isn't who he says he is and the number's a lot lower, or the number is being painted as lower in order to get Jassim to go higher, And another theory is the number might be painted as lower because if the Glazers sell to anyone other than Jassim, it could well be a scenario where at least two of them stay. And the last thing that they will want if they're to stay is to create a scenario where everyone acknowledges there was a higher bid that was rejected and a lower number was accepted 
which allowed them to stay. They will want to turn around if they stay and say, we're staying because we're invested in the football club and we're staying because it was the best offer on the table. So there's all kinds of reasons why we're getting the games. And as a journalist, yeah. all you can really do is provide both sides. And if Jasim wins, it will either be because the number was always healthy and competitive, or it will be because Jasim lowballed and then chose eventually to pay what it takes to win the process and take the football club. And we may never know the answer to that. So it's been a very confusing landscape over the course of the last kind of seven days or so. And it's really easy in this process to just be team Jasim or team Ratcliffe and yeah. forget about the other investors that potentially might end up being significant in this process. And I think the better way of looking at it is to try and understand the process, to try and look at it from all sides. And now to be a little bit patient in order to wait and see if a preferred bidder is named. Yeah, we, we, we do have that strange aspect on social media that we have kind of a, a, almost a split of, of people being Team Jasmine or Team Radcliffe. You know, what, what I don't understand is we've got two bidders, in my, point, in, in my opinion, that don't really look too appealing to me. Um, and neither of them have gone to the effort of reaching out to fan groups and, you know, trying to explain what their plans are to, to fans. So I f- find it, you know, baffling that people are so invested in um in either individual or either individual group. Just just on Sheikh Jasm, um, Ben, there, there seems to be lots of uncertainty. I I, I seen that one one journalist mentioned that um so, sources close to, close to him were unable to confirm his age, and th- there's a number of things, but. They are, they're also arguing that they're not state-backed. Um, would it be incredibly naive um, of people to fall for that? Well, I think that, as we saw with the Newcastle United takeover, there is separation in a legal sense and separation in a practical sense. And if we're talking practically, of course, the Sheikh Jassim bid is backed by the Qatari government. There's nothing in theory wrong with that, as long as UEFA are satisfied and they pass the owners and directors test, but part of the owners and directors test is not only looking at the listed directors, but who has ultimate control over the club. So it can complicate matters if Sheikh Jassim says he's a private individual and the Premier League feel like there are wider stakeholders at play. Hmm. And obviously then going forwards, once if Sheikh Jassim is successful, the Glazers leave and the celebration of their exit dies down, fans will also have to be aware that regardless of whether Sheikh Jassim is a private individual or directly operating on behalf of the government, the government will have an involvement and they will use Manchester United for their sports vision. And those that are critical of it will call that sports washing. And those that are a bit more open-minded will look at the sports strategy and Saudi Arabia and Qatar both have one for 2030. And some of those aims are about not relying on the oil and gas industry and generating business from other sectors, about creating jobs through sports. And there's other sectors like entertainment, about promoting tourism through sports, about bringing sport to Qatar, about creating a post-World Cup legacy. And when you say it like that, it all sounds very logical. And there's lots of countries all around the world that use sport for exactly the same purposes. But there is this 
nagging doubt of sports washing and also this bigger picture of Newcastle and Saudi Arabia and Qatar and potentially Manchester United and Abu Dhabi and Manchester City. And suddenly it all looks a little bit political and potentially murky. So I think Mm -hmm. everyone has to take an open mind. And this is where transparency is key. So the next thing we have to understand if Sheikh Jassim progresses is who else is on the 9-2 Foundation, where exactly is the funding coming from, and what going forward are they going to do to engage with the media and the fan base. And if you look again at Newcastle United, when there was a big furore over the takeover, the Premier League had opposition, there was a piracy subplot as well. Newcastle United, on behalf of PIF, now the owners, were consistent, stating they had nothing to hide and they were transparent. Post-takeover, even though Newcastle are flying and it's great to see and the fan base can enjoy their football, we haven't heard one word from Yasser Al-Rumian to media and he's the Newcastle United chair, representative of the majority owners. So it's really easy before a group comes in to say all the right things. And of course, at the moment, there's support for Sheikh Jassim because it's a clear pitch that says no debt and the Glazers leave. Yeah. And that's what Manchester United fans want. And it's also very easy for anybody in this process, even I could do it, to just say, I've got the money and I want to transform everything about the football club. I want to modernise it. I want to give Eric Ten Hag tons of money. I want to buy Harry Kane. I want to buy Victor Osman. I want to invest in the women's team. I want to invest in youth. You're sticking your neck out there, Ben. You'll you'll have a few people following you up on that one. That's it. And I'm going to bid (laughs) 6.5 billion. Give me the football club. But that is just words. And when you bid versus when you come in, they're still two completely different things. So this is where... Manchester United fans have to ensure that as well as looking at this as glazers out, they frame everything around who is going to come in and what they're going to do, not just in terms of words, but practically. Are you going to meet with supporters' trusts? When you say it's pledged investment, what are you going to spend it on? Because actually, 0.8 billion in pledged investment is not a lot when you consider what needs to be done at Manchester United. So that scrutiny is important. But in essence, and I've lived out in Qatar, so I understand the politics and the dynamic at play. Sheikh Jassim is a private individual, and the 9-2 Foundation is a brand new vehicle to facilitate a sale of Manchester United. And if successful, we will then see that vehicle develop and move in lots of different directions. Some of them Manchester United specific, like reporting back to the 9-2 Foundation with a strategy and a bunch of hires within the football club that help facilitate that strategy that are only about Manchester, the Manchester United club and the community. And that will involve, for example, bringing on board a sporting lead. But there'll be other aspects and other people within the 9-2 Foundation or potentially directly within Manchester United that have much loftier Qatar-specific aims. And this is where everyone has to understand whether there's legal separation between the Qatar government and the 9-2 Foundation or not, and whether there's practical separation or not, and whether they declare anyone within the government or not. Everything comes from the emir. So there were two parts to this process. One was the internal 
Qatar pitch. And two was 9-2 Foundation entering into the rain group process. And once they entered into the rain group process, it is very much just on paper and legally a private individual. But prior to that, anyone who's anyone in Qatar was part of the conversations. Are we going to bid? Do we want minority or do we want majority or do we want outright? Who's going to bid? Where's the money coming from? And it was exactly the same, by the way, when Cristiano Ronaldo joined Al Nasser. And if Messi does end up going to Al Hilal, the club is Al Nasser, but the strategy and the money came from a much broader pool. Mm. So prior to them actually placing that indicative offer, Nasser Al Khalifi was involved, who obviously is the president of PSG and the chairman of Qatar Sports Investment. No doubt the Emir or his people were aware of it because you're not going to succeed with this venture unless the Emir knows about it. So the question is, does he know about it and back it in a blessing sense? Or is there a more hands-on government element? And it's exactly the same for NASA. And this isn't because he's representing PSG or even QSI. It's because if you're doing anything in sport in Qatar, you go to NASA al-Khalifi, whether that's as a consultant, whether that's for advice, or whether that's in a more formal sense to help you win, because he's the sports expert. He's also feeding back towards the Emir. And that is a long-winded way of saying that, you can argue this until you're blue in the face about whether they are directly funded or directly backed by the government and whether there is a legal separation that is satisfactory to the Premier League or whether practically it's all just about government and either sports washing or sports vision, depending on how cynically and aggressively you want to term it. And everyone will have a different opinion. So the best thing you can do is be educated about it, understand both sides, give the group a fair chance because they want to do a lot of lofty and exciting things for the football club. But understand that one key point. There's no such thing as only a private investor, only operating off their own volition. With a sale of this magnitude, there is always government in some capacity there in the background. I suppose when you're talking this level of money, there would have to be, you know, talking five, six, whatever they end up agreeing to at the end. Um, it's it's beggar's belief, really, how a football club can can, can go for that money. Ben, before I let you go, um, a question that a lot of people were kind of sending in was, what way are you feeling right now about how it's going to go? If you were to take a, 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 an educated guess, um, what way this would go in the coming days. Yeah, I often get asked that question. We shouldn't really take educated guesses as journalists, but I'll give you the <laughs> to the best of my ability, really. Um, as we've known throughout the process, there's always been a twist. We had the second round of bidding where the groups both confirmed that they'd bid and then they hadn't. We had the third round of bidding where Qatar's offer was X, but then sources close to the selling side said it was Y. So it's been a process shrouded by confusion and I've covered many takeovers and some of them have been done by rain groups such as Chelsea. So I understand the games and I understand how the media can at times be used to drive up the price or create competitive tension. But you get different kinds of media and some will go on a headline 
And some will obviously be very close to the club side and others will be close to the Qatar side because some journalists will be living and operating out of Qatar or like myself will have lived in Qatar. Other journalists will be very familiar with INEOS, particularly, for example, if they're based in France because of the Nice connection. And one or two will be very in with Manchester United. So maybe get more of a seller perspective as opposed to a buyer perspective. And it all depends, therefore, on what, you read and what the outlet is reporting. And that's not to say that anybody's intentionally trying to give you a false perspective. It's just the reality of the situation. And the most accurate reporting is often in many ways sitting on the fence because this isn't a transfer. It's a business transaction. So it has a series of steps and permutations. And it's better to understand the steps and permutations than jump ahead of the steps and permutations and say, so-and-so is going to win. And anyone can take an educated guess and say, Qatar's going to win. If Qatar's going to win, they put their hand up in the air and say, oh, I was right all along. But that doesn't mean that that's responsible reporting because you've jumped ahead of where the process is actually at. So all of that said, my feeling with Jasim is that if he is who he says he is, then that group will not allow themselves to just walk away. And if that means going higher, or if that means going direct to the Glazers and almost bypassing the process, a large part of me thinks they'll do that. And I say that because I've lived and worked in Qatar. I know how ambitious they are. They don't like to lose. But obviously that's contingent on Jasim being who he says he is and having the money in place. And that scenario will only happen if there is basically some kind of state backing or blessing. At which point they won't want to lose and they'll do everything in their power to keep within this race. And that may well mean upping their offer if it isn't already competitive. And to reiterate, they've said all along that it is competitive. So I still think that Jasim cannot be discounted. And it wouldn't surprise me if after all of the games that Jasim is there, And if the Glazers, which is the key question that we've never had answered because they've not shown their hand, if they genuinely, for the right number, will sell as a six, then I think that Jasim stands a very, very good chance of becoming the preferred bidder. And that's the thing that we constantly overlook in this process, that there's an S on Glazers. There's six of them. So Mm. if actually two of them want to stay then the flip side is Jasim doesn't stand a chance because it's an all or nothing bid. He's not prepared to do anything where two of the Glazers stay. And I think that Jim Ratcliffe has never wanted to go head-to-head with Jasim because he knows in a head-to-head race, if they were both going for 100% of the club, he he would probably be outbid. And that's the thing that, again, we need to reiterate that Ratcliffe's club valuation can be higher because he's looking for less of a stake. And that's very normal in any takeover. If Ratcliffe was told it's 100% or nothing, then I think his bid might well be lower than Jassim, which is why, again, the club valuation can be a bit deceptive because you've got one party saying, I'm bidding X and I'm paying X. And you've got another party saying, my club valuation is X, but I'm only actually going to pay Y. And because Y is a smaller number, the X can be a little bit bigger. So we can't get too drawn into the numbers at this point. But what Ratcliffe has done, which is quite smart, is he said, I think two of the Glazers want to stay. And why has Ratcliffe said that? 
because he met with the Glazers prior to this process starting and he walked away thinking a sale was not possible. So if he is in a position where he doesn't want to go directly head to head with the same kind of structure as Jassim because he feels like then it's highest bidder wins and he would lose. He pivots to this flexible strategy of saying, I'm prepared to do lots of different things. I'm prepared to take the 69. I'm prepared to take 50 and let two of you stay. I'm prepared to talk about whether staying means you can then leave at later date on your terms or whether we can put in an obligation, which would be his preference, where he can take the shares off them by 2026 is the feeling. But this means that there's no real clarity to the bid. And there's still this nagging question of Jassim is debt-free. Um, how much money is Ratcliffe going to have to borrow to facilitate all of this? And although Ratcliffe says that the debt is saddled on Ineos, not Manchester United, I think the clearest pitch is still Jassim, 100% debt-free, as long as, again, that is legit. And the offer that he's placing is competitive. So the two groups are very different. Ratcliffe is flexible. He wants control. He's prepared to work with the Glazers and play on the fact that two of them might want to stay. And Jassim is more about, give me all of the club and I've got four Glazers that would love to just exit. So he's playing upon that. And it's a fascinating tactical battle. And then you've got Rain Group in the middle, probably quite exhausted and worn out trying to facilitate the process. And they're not the decision makers. And at this point, the Glazers have not had those direct conversations with either group. So there's a middleman effectively. And that complicates things as well. If it was a job interview. Is that why right? we're seeing a, seeing a bit of a delay? Is that why the likes of, say, fans, Gary Neville alike, are, are quite annoyed by the Glazers right now because it's just delaying things with a transfer window coming up. But you mentioned so. this middleman and that must be a real complication with time. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I call Rain a middleman. They're an experienced merchant bank, highly respected (laughs) by the Glazers. So I don't quite mean it like that. But it's more, if you want a job, stage one might be with HR and stage two might be with the hiring manager. And the Glazers are your hiring manager. So until someone talks to that hiring manager, however much HR know the job description and are qualified to recommend a decision, until you talk to the hiring manager, you're never going to sign a contract to get a job. And it is a slightly superficial comparison, but effectively it's that. Rain are there to facilitate the process and advise the Glazers and filter out those that are not credible and get this to a point where a deal can be signed. And that includes the meetings in Manchester, that includes the due diligence and ultimately, it includes Rain consistently talking to the Glazers as well to have a sense of what they're feeling and feed that back to the suitors. But eventually, the Glazers are going to have to directly show their hand. And eventually, the groups may want to speak to the Glazers, particularly Sir Jim Ratcliffe, because obviously, there might be a scenario where he has to coexist with them. Jassim may say, if we never have a conversation with the Glazers, who cares, as long as our offer's accepted. But at some point, the Glazers have to show their hand. And that's where we're at now. And because it's so complicated and because it's going to be a world record sale if it happens and because there's so little volume of suitors as well, which is a factor. So the Glazers are not like Chelsea where they've got four or five groups that are all going to compete and drive the price up. 
there's all manner of factors at play. There's six glazers. That's a factor at play. There's the urgency to try and get it done before the window. That's a factor. There's the fact that every group's different. You've got an outright bidder. You've got a controlling bidder. You've got strategic investors. You've got financers. That's a factor in all of this. And then you've got the finances and maybe the fact that if there was a higher number, we might have moved. But if it's a lower number in terms of club valuation, perhaps that means the Glazers are saying to Rain, we need you to drive more competitive tension. There's all manner of different things that can contribute. And that is, again, because it's a business transaction that people are judging in takeover terms because it's so public. So when we talk about a delay, I actually don't think there's been much of a delay. I think Rain have done quite a good job in keeping the process on track. And they did with Chelsea as well. But guess what? During the Chelsea process, much like this one, fans are impatient because it's mm. the livelihood of their clubs. And there's so much distaste for the Glazers that maybe everyone is so focused on why haven't they left yet, including Gary Neville, that they're not thinking about this in terms of what does it actually take to do a takeover? And this is maybe my... 15th takeover that I've covered spanning 15 years and every single takeover bar Chelsea and Manchester United that I've ever covered from start to finish has taken nine months or so as an average. It's like having a baby and this one's six months. Chelsea was three months. So if you look at it only in terms of a soft deadline and then you're feeling from the media that it's going to take seven to 10 days to resolve itself, then yes, there's been a delay. But if you mm. look at it as how long does the takeover take? It's nine months. And if you're a Newcastle fan, it's 18 months. So when I think back to the Man City takeover, when I think back to Leeds' ill-fated Middle Eastern takeover by a Dubai and Bahraini wealth fund, or when I think about John Textor, and Leon, who missed about four deadlines before finally coming in. All of these were nine to 18 months. And Manchester United has been six months and Chelsea was three months. So it's easy to scream delay because there's a timescale now whereby Jasmine and Ratcliffe want to get in by when the window opens in early June. But there's also that standard takeover process, which unfortunately just does take time. And for a takeover to be done in six months or three months like Chelsea, that is super speed. And I think it's worth emphasising that. Okay, so I think we're, we're getting the, the impression there to not expect that and done in the imminent future. Um, ben, no, it's a pleasure. True, actually. Sorry to interrupt you. Like, Criticising it because you think it should be going faster is one thing. And again, yeah. it's moving at super speed. But saying nothing's going to get done imminently is not correct to my understanding either. I think the Glazers will have to show their hand and we may even learn something this week. But certainly by the middle of May, the Glazers will have to show their hand. Now, does that mean something's going to happen or does that mean the Glazers are just showing their hand? That's what we have to find out. If the Glazers show their hand and it's no sale or it's we need more time or it's we've ruled out somebody or it's we're now talking to a strategic investor, that's still showing their hand. And if showing their hand is obviously what everyone wants, which is they're going to name a preferred bidder, 
then the process crystallizes because we can rule out minority investment, we can rule out financing, we can rule out no sale, and we're back to where we started, which is a straight shootout between Ratcliffe and Jassim. And if they name a preferred bidder that is Jassim, they're gone. And the club is likely to be delisted from the stock exchange. And obviously, if it's Ratcliffe, we have to understand what the structure is and whether if two of the Glazers stay, how long they're going to be around for and what the exit terms may be. So I think Manchester United fans can be reassured that there will be movement and soon. But even though we've just spoken for about an hour in a complicated process and context is key, the same questions remain as right at the beginning of the process. Mm which are two questions. One, do the Glazers genuinely want to leave Manchester United? If the answer is yes, I think they'll sell to Sheikh Jassim. If the answer is no, then I think Jim Ratcliffe becomes a very strong contender. And then the second question, which again has been the same all along, is what's the magic number that the Glazers will genuinely entertain a sale at? And if none of the two main suitors meet that number, that's when it gets again complicated and full of another twist because suddenly all of these other strategic investors come back to the table because I would be surprised if the process ends with the Glazers leaving empty-handed because there'd be such an outcry and there would be so much confusion and frustration and that would impact the stock price as well. So again, minority investment, controlling owner or outright owner or no sale are the opportunities on the table at the moment. And I think it all comes down to the Glazers showing their hand, which is the next step. And then obviously, if all along for the right number, they're prepared as a six to sell, that's when I think that Sheikh Jassim will find a way to get a deal done. And if this has actually been about competitive tension and two Glazers staying, then Sheikh Jassim never stood a chance. So... As we've gone through this process, some sources have said that the stalking horse is Ratcliffe and he's there basically because there's a low volume of suitors and he's needed to drum up tension to get Jassim to go as high as possible because the Glazers want to sell. And other sources say that Jassim might be the stalking horse and again is in the process to drive up the price and get Ratcliffe to go higher because two of the Glazers want to remain. And as I've said many times, if two of the Glazers remain, then there's no possibility for Jassim to win because he doesn't want to do any deal unless he gets 100% of the club. So we don't know the answer to that question yet. And any journalist can go to any source at this point and dig and get insight. But I can tell you, having gone to lots of different sides, that it doesn't matter how credible your source is. There's different stories and perspectives from people right in the room. So there's clearly a bit of a game going on. And that probably tells you that throughout much of this process, the six Glazers haven't been unified. They haven't been fully decided. And now, because the window is coming and the season is ending, they have to have an approach, which is either going to be a split, four leaving and two staying, or six going. And that is the only really thing that matters because if six go, I still think Jassim uh, will find a way to own Manchester United Football Club. But if two want to stay regardless, 
then Jasin may as well give up because he's not prepared. And I say he, I mean the 9-2 foundation, are not prepared to be flexible. And at this point, if the Glazers haven't decided yet, then, or fed back that decision, then everybody is unfortunately in the dark. And that's where we are at this point. In the dark, we just we want to see that light, Ben. Ben, it was a pleasure getting the updates from you today. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the Stratocast. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Keep up the good work and hopefully we will bring some clarity and a preferred bidder over the course of the coming days. Fingers crossed. Thanks a million. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.